to the words. Sing along, folks. following message is brought to you from Gathering Community Church, located in Surfside Beach, South Carolina. And now, here's Pastor Benji Simmons. I thought so. I thought so. Wonderful. You know, many of you know that, that I'm kind of a, an Olympic nut, and I'm, I'm thankful that they didn't have to make me choose between a ball game and a, an Olympic meet. So they've decided to put the telecast after the ball game that I will have it all recorded and watch it maybe in the middle of the night. I like to watch the events live. I've got bags under my eyes and I'm still wiping the sleep. But I want to tell you about two things that grabs me. I always look for these stories that the Olympics can bring that can give an introduction to what I'm about to speak about. You know, I watched the, the, the Olympic sprint runner in skiing from Finland, who from the very beginning of that 15K race was out front and did not need a rear view mirror. He was going to win from the moment that he started the sprint. Well, of course of the events, there was one gentleman who would be, uh, it was 95 runners in this sprint race of 15K. And one race, one runner or skier was, uh, had tried for many, many years to get into the Olympics in the Summer Olympics as a runner in the triathlon. And because of the competition so steep and the weakness that he was as an Olympi Olympian, he never got chosen to be in the Olympics to represent his country. So he switched gears at about age 40 and switch gears as he's approaching 40 to jump into the Winter Olympics because no one from Columbia, South America was in the Winter Olympics. And so he knew that if he could get to the trials that he could make the Winter Games, and he did. And the guy from Finland took off and took the lead and remained in the lead and won that sprint of 15K. 18 minutes later, 95 runners later came this guy from South America and there was the Finland who stood there at the finish line to greet him as he was in last place in that race. You know, that's, that's when I think about respect for others. 
I think about situations like that, that we're always challenged throughout life to respect one another, to love them, to respect them. Why? Because God loves us and God gives us the desire within our own heart to love someone else and to also give that respect. In the snowboarding event, our three, there's only three winners, gold, silver, and bronze. But in my opinion, everybody who competes is a winner. That's why I love the Olympics. And the snowboarders did their tricks and their jumps. And in my opinion, I thought we did so well, we should have won the gold, but it didn't matter because I was on my couch and the judges was in <laughs> Beijing, China. But anyway, we ended up with silver and the bronze medalist and the one last snowboarder did its jumps and tricks and all that and landed just like they should and won the gold. And immediately, all the other two who won silver and bronze jumped on top of the gold medalist and they did the big doggy hug, they call it, and they got on top of each other congratulating her. They wasn't disappointed they didn't get the gold. They were happy she did. And yet, you know, you see the same thing with the, um, the Olympic um, racer and snowboard, uh, Bumgardner, who for 40 years, he's now at age 40, he never could make the, the gold, gold, silver, bronze, never could make the Olympic medal uh, happen in his life. And then his last race of seems like to be his career, he and uh, uh, Jacob Ellis, the female uh, snowboarder, teamed up together with both of their ages together, added together, they were 86 years old. <laughs> and they won the gold. And everyone around them was so happy for Bumgardner because they knew he had had not ever made that medal stand in his long, lustrous career, and they all respected him for who he was. And you saw that spirit of Olympian spirit there. Those things inspire me. They encourage me. And I think, okay, how do I apply that to my life? How can we apply that same, uh, same spirit of love and respect in our day and time as we live out the Christian beliefs that we have? In John chapter 13, Jesus gives us how to do that. And in John 13, verses 1 through 17, it's Jesus says, I mean, the scripture says, before the Passover festival, Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart from this world to the Father. And having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. That probably could be a sermon in itself. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. Now, by the time of the supper, the devil had already put into the heart of Judas, Simon Iscariot's son, to, be, to betray him. And Jesus knew that the Father had given everything into his hands, that he had come from God, and that he was going back to God. So he got up from supper, he laid aside his robe, he took a towel, he tied it around himself. Next, he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet to dry them with the towel that was tied around him. He came to Simon Peter who asked him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? And Jesus asked him, what I am doing you don't understand now, but afterwards you will know. You will never wash my feet, Peter said. Jesus said, if I don't wash you, you have no part with me. And Simon Peter said, Lord, not only my feet, but also my hands and my head. One who has bathed, Jesus told him, doesn't need to wash anything 
except his feet. But he is completely clean. You are clean, but not all of you. For he knew one who would betray him. This is why he said, you are not all clean. When Jesus had washed their feet and put on his robe, he reclined again and he said to them, do you not know what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord. This is well said for I am. So if I, your Lord, your teacher, have washed your feet, you should also wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that also you should do just as I have done for you. I assure you, a slave is not greater than his master and a messenger is not greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, you are blessed if you do them. So what is Jesus talking about? Is he telling us to go always have a towel and always have a, a, a basin of water and be ready to wash everybody's feet that we see in the world in which we live? Or is he telling us to respect those around us and to love them in such a way that is so unexpected, so unexpected as he did for the disciples washing their feet as a Lord to the disciples to do something unexpected for the people we meet him, we meet. Verse 34 and 35 brings it together. I give you a new commandment. He's also in, talking to the disciples, all within the context of the passage. I give you a new commandment, love one another. Just as I have loved you, you must also love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. So Jesus is talking about the example of love. He's talking about an example of love that has passion, an example of love that goes beyond Example of love that does something that's to totally unexpected, that goes beyond the norm and reaches out to the heart of the person who's even unlovable and reaches out to the heart of the person who doesn't care to have someone reach out to him. He's talking about loving those who are ready to receive love and loving those who are unlovable in life. And so this message is entitled Loving and Respecting Others. And when you look at your life and my life, there are times that you are a better person today because someone loved you. You are a better person today because someone respected who you are. You are a better person today because someone cared and did something beyond the expected. Or it may be that you had to recover because someone didn't love you and didn't respect you, and when you thought they should have, they didn't. And you understand what the highs and lows of loving and respecting someone is about. You understand the highs and lows as you look at Jesus' life. This would be, to my opinion, one of the highs, but the disciples might have seen it as one of the lows because they saw their Lord stooping down to a servant level and washing their dirty feet. But it was really the high in their life because they learned something about servanthood that they would apply for the rest of their life about serving those around them. Jesus' simple command requires greater strength than any of us naturally possess. It requires the Holy Spirit. That's the premise. As I continue in this message, that's the premise. That beyond our strength, there is a strength that says, I can love you when I am not feeling like loving you. I can do for you when I do not have the energy to do it. I will serve you even though it's a dirty job. It's that type of strength that God gives us because of the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit that God gives us deep within. The Bible says we are to love one another. Sounds good, but can we do it? We are to love one another. No wonder Jesus said this is the new command. 
He could have said, this is the only command. This is the most important command. This is the command that will revolutionize your ministry as as my disciples for the rest of the world. This command is going to be demonstrated through a cross event when I stretch out my arms and I die. Love one another. It's almost as if Jesus is saying, this is the command that means the most. Sounds good, but can we do it? I love mankind, it's the people I don't like. (laughs) Sometimes we have that mentality. People are sometimes, I know, irritating. I agree with the guy who said to live above those we love, how that would be glory. To live below those we know, that would be another story. Even people at church sometimes can be difficult. You've had those experiences throughout your lifetime. And you sing the song, I'm glad you're part of the family of God. And you look at him and think, why are you here? You know, we've had those moments. There are moments in life that we didn't want to love. But we know inside us is a command that says we are to love one another because Jesus said it. Jesus lived it. Jesus patterned his life because of it. Jesus demonstrated it. Sometimes it's hard enough to to love our own family. One guy told his wife that if she had really loved him, she would have married someone else. (laughs) So we understand love is is a, a feature that we struggle with every day. So let me ask you this. How do we make love a dominating characteristic of our lives? How do we make this idea of love such a dominating characteristic of our lives? First of all, we must make love a priority. We must put it at a priority of our life. Indeed, loving people is difficult, yet this is what the Bible commands, for this is the message you have heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. 1 John chapter 3, verse 11. We spend time on what we deem important, and loving people is very important. For many of us, those choices are valid. Time with family, time with friends, at work, prayer, serving the poor, fighting for the rights of others, protesting wrongs. But the scripture reminds us, and if I donate all my goods to feed the poor, and if I give my body in order to boast, but do not have love, I gain nothing. And so love is a dominating feature and dominating command all throughout scripture. Tomorrow's the day of love for many couples husbands and wives and family. Uh, Children receive candy. Spouses used to receive candy. And when you get to a certain age, you quit doing it because your belly starts growing or your hips go out. But anyway, it's a day for lovers, a day to love someone whom you care for the most by demonstrating through a gift, a friendship, a kindness, a word, an action. And yet, we're not talking about a day in our life that Jesus has given us. We're not talking about when we feel like it or the calendar demands it. We're talking about the command of love that's every day of our life. Even when we've been uh, figuratively slapped in the face or we've been demoted or we've been disrespected ourselves, we're still to love. Jesus doesn't put a condition, love one another when they're lovable. He says to love one another, period. He doesn't identify who we're to love. He doesn't demonstrate how we're to love. He just demonstrates that we are to love. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the greatest and most important commandment, Jesus answered. And the second is to love your neighbor as yourself. And with the disciples there in that last moment with the disciples' life, he says, the greatest commandment I can give you is to love one another. 
There's something about that command that reaches down to the depths of who we are and the depths of our being and our conscious thoughts, even into the gray areas of our life and does something remarkable that changes us. Love then is not a gray area in Scripture. Jesus gave love a priority over all other Christian virtues. Every thought, every response, every act of goodwill first passes through that fine filter of love or it means nothing at all. I can do all these things, the scripture says, but have not love, then I am nothing. I can give all that I have to the poor and if I do not have love, I gain nothing. It goes on to say love is patient and love is kind. Love is not jealous, it's not boastful, it's not arrogant, it's not rude. Love does not behave unseemingly. It does not puff itself up, but love demonstrates from the characteristic of what's been inborn within us because love will never fail, and that's the love of God. To strength of love, Martin Luther King, in his book, encouraged us to realize that our responsibility as Christians is to discover the meaning of that command and to seek passionately to live out the command in our daily lives. But why love? Why is it so important? You and I must make it a priority. And second of all, we must understand the importance of love. If it wasn't for people who loved me, I'd have never become a Christian. If it wasn't for people who loved me enough to pray for me, I wouldn't do what I do today. And the same happens in your life people who care and love you beyond what you could even imagine because they've come to understand the importance of what love really is. When Jesus spoke to his disciples regarding this first and second command to love with all your heart, all your mind, he explained that all the prophets and all of the laws depends on these two commands. And then he captivated that command when he said, love one another. To the people of Israel, as well as for many believers today, it would seem more logical for the obedience to be the peg from which all of the law and prophets are, are derived. But it says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. Love is first, obedience is second. You've got to love him with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength in order to love other people. And he's saying to his disciples, I love you. I love you. I demonstrated it by this act of washing your feet. He says to them as he's, he's around that table and he says, now, you love me, I know that. You wouldn't be here. I realize that one person in this room is going to betray me. I know that, but you love me. You love me with all your heart. You've demonstrated for the last three and a half years. Now get out there and love one another because that love will lead you to obedience. Obedience is not first. In my mind as a child, when I used to walk to church from my grandmother's house to the Methodist church down the road, I used to think, I'm, do the, I'm doing the right thing. And because I'm doing the right thing and I'm going to church, therefore God thinks highly, more, you know, thinks highly of me. That was my mentality as a child. The better I do things, the more obedient I am, the greater I can understand God's love. But I understood that it's about a passion it's about falling in love with him first before the obedience could ever match. And so the, all of the law and prophets are based on love, not obedience. Obedience follows because of the love. Jesus also said, I give you that new commandment, love one another just as I have loved you. 
The apostle Paul goes on to tell us, love does no wrong to a neighbor. Love, therefore, is the fulfillment of the law. This may sound, you know, illogical to a generation that depends on police departments and guns and force to uphold and fulfill laws in our land. It seems a little bit berserk in our minds to think love is the most powerful feature, yet Jesus' simple command requires greater strength than any of us naturally possess and is the strength that comes from the Holy Spirit and that becomes more power than any man-made weapon on this earth. The logic of Paul's interpretation of Jesus' command that love fulfills the law seems equally simple. If one loves his neighbor, he will not hurt his neighbor. If he loves his coworker, he will not lie to his coworker. If he loves his enemy, he will not slander his enemy. Love fulfills the law because if we truly love every person because he or she is a person, we will not desire to hurt or violate them, thus never break the law. God establishes love as the priority of our obedience. So when we begin to understand that love is a priority and love is, is the important feature amongst all other things in our life, then we can do the third thing. We can begin to embody the nature of love. When we demonstrate Christian love, it distinguishes us from the rest of the world. Jesus goes on to say, by this, this love, by all of this love, by this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. We sung about it just a moment ago. People will know us by our love. They will know us because we'll know us as Christians because of the way we love. Notice Jesus did not say that people will know, the, know you are my disciples if you promote my agenda. Wear the great Christian t-shirts or pull out your drawer from years past, the WWJD bracelets, or have a fish decal on your car. Rather, it is all about loving one another. That is the distinguishing mark that sets the disciple apart from anything else. And it's the embodiment of the nature of love. Where do we get the nature of love? When you and I say, Lord Jesus, come live within me. I am a sinner. I can't save myself. I can't deal with my sin. I want to know that I, I have a father and I want to submit my life to you. When we make that confession, the embodiment of love comes into us. The DNA of our life, the DNA of our love changes. We're inherently born into sin and we want to do that, which is sin. But when Christ gets a hold of a heart, he changes that DNA. It's like the transformation that happened in the Spider-Man movie. He changed it all happened. The DNA changed and we come out of our shell and we realize this is what we're born for. From the very beginning of time, God created the world to create it so that he could share his love, share himself with the world. And that is the whole goal so that we can understand the embodiment of the nature of love that comes from God to love one another. That's how it happens. That was the longest statement. I'm getting good with these long statements, but it makes you dizzy. A watching world will be persuaded, not when our values are promoted. Listen to this, but when they're incarnated. A watching world will not be persuaded, from, not from our values that we promote, but from, our, from that which we incarnate. When we become channels of love, so again, what we do is not based on the power and the strength that we have. 
it is based on the possession of the Holy Spirit within us. So when we become a Christian, the channel of blessing from heaven flows into this body, but we become the temple of the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit's nature is to love. And if the Holy Spirit lives in us, then we have the nature of love. We tap into that love and we do just what Jesus says, love one another. Based on the love that he has for human beings, based on the love that he has created, based on the love that he wants to share with his creation, we have that same within us, the channel of the Holy Spirit. That's the embodiment of nature. The virtue of love distinguishes the Christian from the very beginning, God's plan was to develop a people to reflect his character. From the very beginning time, we were created in the what? Image of God. That image has nothing to do with the outward appearance. It's all about the inward. And what is that image? Did he create us in the image to sin? No. Did he create us in the image of doing that which was wrong? No. Evil? No. He created us in the image of that which is pure righteous, full of love, and great. And you and I can understand this character. We embody this character because we come to love him, live for him, and passionately serve him. And we love him first, and then we do. God is love. And the one who remains in love remains in God, the scripture says. God remains in him. In this, love is perfected with us so that we may have confidence in the day of judgment for we are as he is in the world. So you and I are given from the beginning the love of God in our heart when we open our heart to him. I love this statement. Believers are the advertisement for heaven. Think of that. Believers are the advertisement of God. Believers are the advertisement of the Christian life. Believers are the advertisement that God is real, that he's not dead, that he's real. It is an advertisement to the watching society on how individuals can best live their life in the society in which they live. In fact, Christian love will always be the best apologetic that the church could ever have. I don't have to prove God exists. I don't have to prove that God is real. I don't have to prove that God is powerful. I don't have to prove anything. All I've got to do is love. And if people see that love in me, then they know something's happened to me that's beyond my capabilities. And when you and I understand this love, it makes, a, it makes an impact that changes for the rest of the world. If you can't love one another, this is not a judgment statement. This is not me trying to create something in your life. If you can't love one another, then you are doing something wrong in your love for God. Because God loves, he says, love one another. He doesn't say love those you would like to love. He says, love everyone and bless those who curse you. Pray for those who are your enemies. Love them who doesn't love you. Wow, he demonstrated it. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Demonstrated on the cross and said, it is finished. He said, it is finished. He said, the nature of love is now being birthed into the human heart when I say it is finished. 
And as a result of those who believe that I am the Christ, the son of the living God, the Messiah, and upon this declaration, I will build my church, he says to Peter. If you believe that, then that love has been given to you. That's powerful. I always thought love was something you learn. It's not. Opening a door for a lady and being courteous, as I was taught from my mom, that's something I learn. Yielding at a, a yield sign instead of trying to get ahead of that person when I'm in a hurry is something you learn. But loving someone is not something you learn. It's something that happens to the inside of your character, the image in which we were created that comes alive when we commit our life to the Lord. And love develops from who, who God is within us. When Ira Gillett, a missionary to East Africa, returned home to report the activities of overseas, he related a very interesting phenomenon. You know, repeatedly, the missionary Gillett had noticed how groups of Africans would, would pass by the government hospitals and travel an extensive many more miles to receive medical treatment at the missionary compound. He finally asked a particular group why they walked the extra distance when they could get the same medicines from the, the government clinics. Their reply, the medicines may be the same, but the hands are different. That's the difference. Everybody can love. A lot of people are going to love tomorrow. They're going to wake up and tell their spouse they love them and hand them a, a box of chocolates. And, and then they're going to have a stomachache by night. But anyway, people are going to tell each other they love you. They're going to give you a card. It's going to, it's, that's not what we're talking about. We're talking about people who make a difference with the way in which they conduct themselves in a manner that impacts the person who receives the love. Not because we want to just love to have a good mark on our record, but we love because it is a command that Jesus gave that we are to love one another. Even those who spit at us, even those who, who try to uh, deface us, we are to make a difference with the love of the virtue of love that is incarnated within us. And that kind of love makes a difference. Christ has no hands but our hands, no feet but our feet. We are his ambassadors representing him in the world. We are the greatest advertisement of heaven and when we love as he is loved, it will make a difference and people will notice. Christian love is indispensable. So we must embody the nature of love. Number four, of how we make love such a dominating characteristic in our life. Number four, we must demonstrate the virtue of love. How do we demonstrate that distinctiveness? How do we actually do that? Because virtue is moral action we practice, right? Wrong. <laughs> we practice because of the glorious virtue of love that has been birthed within us. And that which is birthed within us comes alive in what we do. So let's understand how can we practice the glorious virtue of love. Number one, love values the other person. It values them. We see them from a different perspective. We, we, let's not confuse Christian love 
with its counterfeits. Lust, sentimentalism, gratification. While love is wonderful and becomes a warm feeling, it's not a feeling. In fact, according to Scripture, love is a primary active interest in the well-being of another person. Love acts for the benefit of others. It was William Barclay that said, love is the spirit in the heart that never seeks anything but the highest good of its fellow man. Love is a value that we place in someone's life because of the value God has placed in our life when he said, I love you. God loves us not because he had something to offer, but rather because he had something to give us that would transform us for the rest of our life on into eternity. It's not just an offer, it's a gift. For God so loved the world in this way that he gave his only, one and only son so that everyone who believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. That's not an offer, that's a gift. That's not something you say, okay, one day. It is a gift that transformed the person you are. It is the gift that transformed the person I am, and it does so for eternity. Never ends. Dr. W.A. Crystal, former pastor of First Baptist Church in Dallas, Texas, officiated, obviously, a lot of weddings. A nervous groom would always say, Dr. Crystal, how much do I owe you for this? And he would always smile and look at the groom and say, just pay me what she's worth. <laughs> well, you can imagine Dr. Crystal made a lot of money doing weddings. In a like manner, everyone around us has incredible value. Value not because of that which is around them they've created. According to Scripture, the person you and I meet is valued by God. Jesus didn't say, Lord, forgive those who believe in me for they know not what they do. He says, forgive those because they do not know what they are doing. He says, forgive everyone who has placed me on this cross. Every sin has been committed in the past, present, and future. Father, forgive them for they know not what that sin does to them and to me. And he died in love, pouring that passion of love for all the world to transform Everyone who understands who Jesus is. Everyone around us has incredible value because God sees every person as great value. Not just a potential of an object of mercy. One only son died in its place because we are that act of mercy. Because people matter so much to him, they ought to matter to us. In fact, the parable teaches if you lose a coin, you lose a son, or, or you lose a sheep. You leave, them, you leave those at home who's safe and sound and go search for the one who is lost. He loves us so much that it should tear us up that we must love them as he loves them and be willing to do just as Jesus did. Demonstrated in the washing of dirty feet. It was not just so that he could say, wow, what a Lord who serves. Jesus demonstrated his care. He demonstrated his love. He demonstrated the value of the disciples over and above his own value as a human being. And if Jesus valued 
those men that much. Just the same one who was going to betray him, Jesus washed his feet. Even though he knew he was hated, he washed the feet. And if Jesus did that, then the value of love for another person should be a high priority of our life. How can we practice this glorious virtue of love? Love opens up to the other. In other words, love opens up its life to another person. It goes beyond the sentimental feelings. It breaks down barriers. It exposes the hearts of the people around us. Think about Jesus. He left the glory of heaven to come to earth. He veiled his dignity and took on humanity. He wrapped himself in human flesh. And what did he get, what did he get him? He came to his own and his own people did not receive him, the scripture says. Can you imagine being away from a business trip for a week and you come home and the people says in your home, we don't know you, leave. Jesus was one of them and they did not even recognize him. He had no home. He was a homeless Lord until, until every person who believed, he took up residence and he became our home. The reason why he had no home is because he knew that the people he died for, he was going to make a home in the human heart. Jesus, an experience of who he is while on earth, surely that we must understand that Jesus hung on a cross, dying for those people he loved who hurled abuses, scorned him, ridiculed him. His heart must have been broken, yet he loved them enough to forgive them. But you don't understand what my sister's done to me and my brother's done to me and my mom's done to me, my friend has done to me. I can't love them for what they've done. Bull crap, you can. Because Jesus Christ loves all people. And if you love Jesus, you can love them. Why? Because the nature of love has been embodied within you from the power of the strength of the Holy Spirit, heaven to earth, heaven to your heart, and you can love the person who has mistreated you. You can love the person who has defaced you because Jesus loves them too. That's hard to understand. I've been there. I've wanted to throw the darts. I wanted to get even. I wanted to make it known. I wanted to let them know that I am right and they are wrong. But it's better to love them. Kill them with kindness and love them without hesitation. And it will change their unkindness to kindness and their hatred to love. And I've seen it happen over and over again. Not because of my power, because of the power and the strength of God working in their heart. It can happen. So love opens itself up to other people. Number three, love entails a cost. It involves a cost. It costs us something to love. It gets our hands dirty. It takes a chance. It goes out on a limb. It takes a gamble. Love makes a statement and leaves a legacy. Love that statement. You see, love makes a statement and it leaves a legacy. It does the unexpected, it does the surprising, and it does the stirring. Love can change a multitude of wrongs. It performs acts that steal the heart It leaves the impression upon the soul and often these acts are never forgotten. I read a moving story about the founder of World Vision, the International Christian Relief Agency, Bob Pierce, had advanced leukemia. 
but he chose to visit a colleague in Indonesia before he died. As he and others walked together through the small village, he came upon a young girl lying on a bamboo mat near a river. She was dying of cancer herself and had only a short time to live. Bob was so indignant when he saw that experience. He demanded to know why she was not in a clinic and why she was laying on a bamboo mat in the open by the river. The friend explained that she was from the jungle and she wished to spend her last days near the river because it was cool and it was familiar and it was quiet to her. As Bob gazed at her, he felt so much compassion. He stooped down with his knees in the mud. He took her hand and he began stroking it. And though she didn't understand him, he began to pray for her right there and then. Afterwards, she looked up at him and she said something. Translator was there. What did she say, Bob asked his friend. His friend replied, she said, if only I could sleep again. If I could only sleep again. It seemed that her pain because of her cancer was so great that she could not even have one night's relief through sleep. Bob began to weep. And then he reached into his pocket and he took out these sleeping pills that his doctor had given him because he himself was in such pain because of his leukemia, so great that he couldn't even have a good night's sleep. He handed the bottle to the friend. He said, make sure this young lady gets a good night's sleep. He said, as long as these pills last, she will sleep. Bob was 10 days away from where he could get a refill back in the States. That meant 10 painful, restless nights for Bob. He, he, and yet that day, that love cost him greatly. But even in the midst of suffering, God infused within him a supernatural sense of satisfaction that he had done the right thing for one lady who could get at least one night's sleep before she died. Now, I'm not saying that we should constantly abuse ourselves or become passive doormats, but Christian love inevitably carries a cost. Even when the cost is high, we can nevertheless count on God to bring fulfillment to the followers. True love always costs. If there is no cost, there is no love. Demonstrated in Christ, it cost him his life, but it was a great love for humanity. In the end, the goal of a Christian life is to love. The measure of our maturation is our love for God and our love for others. And if we fail to do either of those things, we miss what it means when Jesus said to his disciples, love one another. But there is hope for the one who fails in love. At the very beginning, I asked the question, can we love? And I said, no. Can we love others in this way? The answer is no. We cannot love others like Christ loved them unless Christ is within us. The Lord forgave even those who crucified him. He stands ready to forgive those who lack love in their life. Love is the greatest command. Love for God, love for others. Summed up, love everyone. He wants to show mercy towards you today. 
to cleanse the hands that have not loved and to fill the heart with the passion and yet to fill it with the loving Holy Spirit. And in filling that heart, we receive mercy. We place our trust in Christ we te- and he teaches us that love is the virtue in which we live out that comes from him. Not in our own strength, but in the strength of the Holy Spirit. So will you let the love of God infill your heart today? Sometimes it's good to have a cup full of some beverage, coffee, Coke, water, tea, whatever it is. But sometimes it's good to have that cup be empty because we know that in order to enjoy it again, it's got to be filled. So is your love tank running empty? Let God fill it back up. Let him passionately stir within your heart what only he can do by letting his infilling rise up within you so that you can love the person who is unlovable and you can make a difference in the life of the person who really doesn't want it, that you can love them even when they turn the other cheek or show you the door and ask you, be careful and not let the door hit you when you go out. You still can love those people who seem to be unlovable because of the infilling of God's love within you. So this message is connecting with the love of God. It's not about washing each other's feet, or is it? Is it about servants? Is it about passion? Is it about care? Is it about mercy? Is it about compassion? Or is it about love? Christian faith begins in love when we realize Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. Very basic, very simple. The simpler it is, the more powerful meaning it has. So simplify your life by allowing the love of God to infiltrate who you are. Father God, we thank you that you give us the reminder of this great command that even when we're weak, you are strong. Even when we are unlovable, you are lovable. Even when we least expect it, you are there to show up and perform the miracle of love. Thank you, God, that because of who you are and that which lives within us, that we can love just as Christ loved. Father, thank you for loving us as your friend and dying for us as your son and as your daughter. In your name that we pray, amen. My friend, we want to sing a song of affirmation, a song of commitment, oh, how he loves you and me. And as we sing that together, if that's something that you need prayer with here at the altar, I'll pray with you. If it's just something you want to come and kneel at the altar and pray to God and say, God, I'm here today just to tell you I love you. The altar's open. As you stand and sing and and let that song uh, just sink into your mind and heart, may that become your commitment as you realize how much God loves you. And because of that love, you're going to love others.
So let's stand together. Let's sing this song of affirmation, song of commitment. Thank you for listening to The Worship Cast, brought to you from Gathering Community Church, located in Surfside Beach, South Carolina. For more information about our church and our ministries, please visit our website at www.gatheringcommunitychurch.com. Thank you again, and have a blessed week.